Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic named Tom. Well, I'll be glad when it's over with. Just tell like it is. Uh, I, I just can't believe I'm even speaking at a Rule 62, you know. That's just amazing to me, especially 3,000 people like this. I <laughs> can't wait to buy a copy of this CD. Uh, you know, I come every year. I've come, we were talking about that last night, but I came to the first one. I forgot I was at the first one, so I've been to 25 of these things and didn't even realize it, you know. Uh, and there's many a time I sat out there and I thought, wonder what it would be like to be a speaker here, you know. <laughs> well, God must have thought that was a prayer. I was just making a comment, God. <laughs> yeah. I don't need this. Um, sobriety date, good place to start, February 6, 1989. And uh, that may not mean a lot to other people, but boy, I'll tell you what. See, I owe everything I am, everything I ever hoped to be to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because before I got here, I was so lost and had lost so much, you know. And you people gave me a life back. I have a... Uh, a home group that I'm, I'm absolutely, I know pride's one of the seven deadlies, but I'm very proud of my home group. It's called Serious About Serenity. It meets in Xenia, Ohio on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. And the, uh, it's a discussion meeting. And the coffee's always hot. The fellowship is absolutely wonderful. AA is spoken there and we talk about solutions. So, uh, just a great, yeah. Uh, sponsorship, it's always important to identify uh, that you have a sponsor from in, a, in your lead. And, and I, I honestly, you know, I can't even joke about this. I wish I could, but I have, you know, literally the best sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and he's sitting out there and he prayed with me and he's been with me on the journey all along, you know. If you did the math on this, I'm 26 years sober you know and unbelievable he's been with me the whole 26 years the whole 20 now i've never been with a girl for 26 years <laughs> just so you know so this program does breed intimacy and we were talking about that this morning i want to thank aa for this convention like this morning i was able to go to the um uh, there was a 6 o'clock meeting and a meditation meeting, both of which helped get me centered and calmed down to even be able to talk to you people about the gift that's been given to me. You know, and I know that's why I'm here. There's a guy who works at Central Office, so does my sponsor. Uh, his name's Howie. I forgot to say that because I think I, do I still get five bucks every time I mention your name, Howie, or not? <laughs> but, uh, Kenny V, Kenny Vale's his name. He's, he's an old fart and he wouldn't mind me sharing his name. But Kenny, uh, when I was given my first lead, I was like a powerhouse in AA. I was carrying the disease, not the message, and I had everybody's answers, and, and somebody was stupid enough to ask me to talk. And, uh, I, I went to Kenny. Kenny, I, we shared a home group on Friday night in Vandalia, and I said, Kenny, I'm about to get my first lead. And he sensed the ego in there. And he said, Tom, you got to remember, he said, you're the messenger, not the message. And he was real clear that the people are not going to be looking 
at me for who I am, but me for what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. And I'll tell you, none of that's changed. I, and I gotta, if I go all the way back to then, he was one of the first ones to put his hand out. And I had just gotten out of a treatment center. And he said, Tom, if you stay with us, you'll never have to drink again. You know, and I'm like, yeah, sure, Kenny, sure. Another guy, JB, he's still around. They're both still around, both still sober. The guys, when I got sober, are still around. But JB, he shook my hand and he said something very important to me, a guy like me. And that was, he said, Tom, if you stay with Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll never be alone. Boy, he didn't lie to me on that count. Because, see, I was a loner. I came from a life of destitution, you know, with nobody. Ran everybody off, so I did. We'll go back, let's do that. Uh, the what it was like, born in a small town on the river, Martins Ferry, Ohio, fished till I was 14 years old, met a girl at 14, changed my whole life, you know. We kissed, had a baby. <laughs> Tommy Jr., no less, you know, named him after me. I've, I've had alcoholism from the day I was born, I just didn't drink, you know. Uh, control, run the show type stuff. Defeat from trying to do that on a regular basis. Frustration growing up. Uh, offset that, though. I offset my frustration by by excelling. And I don't know if anybody else has done this, but I, I did absolutely wonderful in school. I got straight A's, never, never absent, never tardy. Report cards were perfect. And you know what I got out of that, and, and when I did my step work, I come to a lot of realizations, but I got a pat out of the back for that, on the back for that, from my father, you know. And I didn't know, you know, they were talking about daddy issues last night, but I, my father's been dead since 1975, and, and, uh, I was able to heal over that when I got in recovery, too. But the, uh, the overachieving had some benefits because, uh, me and that gal that had that baby, when I graduated from high school, I was already a father and I was already married. When, at my graduation, my dad was there too. He was at my graduation and so was my wife and so was that child. And, uh, I graduated like number three in my class and there was 300 and something in that school because they bust them in from all the farm towns all around. And, and I, I knew I was alcoholic because I wondered why I wasn't the valedictorian, you know. I just wondered why I wasn't. I knew I was the best. And God had a sense of humor because you know what I did at that graduation and I look back at that too. And I think it's still in, in my ex-wife's gear somewhere, but I, I got to do the benediction of all things. A guy like me coming from you know, a poor childhood and all that. So, so there was a lot of there. There was a lot of things that were happening that I couldn't see at the time that I had to wait to see later. I guess is how you want to say it. Um, we went on. Uh, my mom died when I was two. I should mention that because I know none of you have trouble with relationships, and and I could blame it on not having a mom because my dad never really remarried. You know, he raised. I had three brothers and three sisters. My father was a mill worker. He worked at Wheeling Steel Mill. Uh, they had a Martins Ferry branch. Wheeling was on the other side of the river. And uh, he retired from there. He worked there all his life, you know. Uh, 
But the the gift that he gave me out of that situation was he gave me good work ethic, and I've had that my entire life, except when I was too drunk to go to work, but that was a whole different ballgame. But the fact that he was raising seven kids and all he did was work, uh, kind of like I didn't have any real good examples of relationships. So I had to, I had to feel my way through, if you will, bio biologically, I felt my way through relationships. And uh, I can just condense that whole marriage. It lasted 17 years, and every time we kissed, we had a baby. So, so first came Tommy, and then came Jamie Sue, and then came Bo Cephas, and I st he was named after the singer, you know. And I'm pretty sure he was made in the back seat of a car at the drive-in theater when the the Hank Williams story was on the movie. I think that's why he got that name. And that, that's my only claim to fame. If I had something in history that I, you know, I didn't have a Mick Jagger, you know, in my story, but, but that was pretty exciting. And then, uh, the one after, the one after him is, uh, he's here today, Chad. And, uh, by that time, the, the, the marriage was already rocky and, I didn't know about, I had uh, this huge character defect, jealousy, you know, and so did she. It was kind of cute to watch us hit each other on the leg going down the road when I would look at a girl or she would look at a guy. Uh, but that was our interpretation of love. You know, that we didn't know any different. But Chad was named after a movie star back then. His name was Chad Everett, and he had a doctor show or something. But she named him after the movie star. I didn't make it to the hospital when he was born. I was in a bar. And I know exactly where he was born and what bar I was in, you know. But that ought to tell you something. And then we had Crystal Lynn, and she was named after a country singer. But after those five kids, um, an alcoholic who didn't have no life skills whatsoever, no, you know, I was literally trying. You know, when I found alcohol, I found it originally as a social drink. I'm in this book, and in this book it talks about the guy that started out as a moderate drinker and then became a heavy drinker and and then some of us cross over that line or we run over it or whatever but I I think I shot like a bullet over that line when I went over it because when I found alcohol it was my solution it was not my problem I became a barroom drinker it escalated tremendously and quickly that lady and those five kids drove off into the sunset they got out of a situation after 17 years that God was, God had them covered. I will guarantee you that because I was not done yet and the damage I'd already done was horrific. It was literally horrific. But I got to tell you, when they left, I thought, my thought was, and the, the meeting this morning was self, salty dog was selfish self-centeredness. But my thought was, I can get another wife. I can, I can make more babies, you know, and that's not something you're real proud of when you see what they become in real life later on, you know. Uh, but what the one that destroyed me was when I lost my job. See, I had developed a pretty good career, and the background was in architecture and, and engineering and, and construction. And uh, I had a job where I had just excelled and excelled and excelled and excelled and uh, was making good money and got a real good position. But as I was progressing in, in the, uh, my profession, the disease was progressing too at the same time. And uh, 
it was, you know, I would go to the bar for lunch and not go back to work. And I would go in the morning on the way to work and not make it to work. And and eventually I lost that job. And I was in Pennsylvania at the time. I wish I could make an AA meeting up around Rochester, Pennsylvania, because I know all my old friends would be there because they all drank like I drank, you know. And speaking of which, I'll tell one story over there because it's it just it'll never leave me, and it identifies me right to the T. And that is, this guy's name was Jim Lambert. I told you I was a barroom drinker, and we were shooting pool for fifty bucks a game. And uh, somebody tapped the table, scratch on the eight ball, whatever happened, we stepped outside to resolve the situation. And this guy, I don't know where his, his boxing career or whether he was impressed, but this guy beat the shit out of me. I mean, he beat the living heck out of me, you know. But I'm alcoholic. And, you know, he was bigger than me. He had longer arm reach. I recognized all that. But he didn't know who he was messing with, okay? And I carried that with me. I mean, day and night, day and night. Actually, I carried it to work, too, because I... I'd look like this. The job I had, I looked like this, you know. And I got on, and they asked what happened. I said, you don't need to know. You know, because I did do a good job at where I was at. And they just let me heal up. But it was no more. I plotted, schemed, and everything. It was no more than a month later. I wasn't sitting on it. I was fuming. And I had it all figured out that he stepped outside first, turned around. When I stepped out, he sucker punched me, and that's why I couldn't react quick enough. You know, plus maybe I, I was never not drinking at that period of my life, day, night, you know. And I thought maybe if I just have like six or eight beers, you know, just enough to take the edge off. And if I throw the first punch, I get it. So I made sure I picked the fight. Pool table, once again, 50 bucks a game. And I stepped outside, and I swung that first punch, and I'm going to tell you what, he beat the shit out of me again. <laughs> I'm like, I just couldn't live with myself over that because I had actually planned this out. You know, I'm like, how can, I'm so wonderful, you know, and in, I'm a legend in my own mind. And so here it was, I bet my next door neighbor was Baggy Byers. And Baggy was, he may be one of us, I don't know, but he was my drinking buddy because him and I could escape. And his wife Lolly and my wife Sandy would buddy. So he was my, my, key to the door to go drink so we were real good buddies him and i and most of this happened at the friendly cafe of all places in bridgewater pennsylvania that was our watering hole and there was a bar around the corner called the traveler's bar and me and baggy got all drunked up and and we closed up pete and stella's the friendly and the other pete he stayed open like another 45 minutes or whatever you go over there and drink some more me and baggy were we closed the one up we went over the others two o'clock in the morning and I was drinking Hunter Proof Snops and Pony Millers at the time. I'll never forget this. But in walks Lambert. Lambert walks in. And Baggy's sitting beside me. He saw him come in, and he tapped me, and he said, Tom, did you see who walked in? And I said, yeah, that's... And he said, you know what, Tom? I think you can take him. And I said, Baggy, you know, he had faith in me. What the heck? You know, so we went outside again, and we danced, but it was a short dance. He beat the shit out of me one more time. 
So if you ever hear in the program they talk about doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, well, there you go. Now, I heard that in both leads last night. I want to call that. I love both those leads. Sean was just amazing. I just couldn't grab a guy. Here is a guy, you know, he's got kids that are riding the same school bus as him. You know, <laughs> if he... If he could have got held back a couple of years, they could have graduated together. That's what I was sitting out there thinking. Now, I've heard a lot of AA leads in 26 years, but that's good. I like that. And the other guy, that Brian guy, you know, I thought he was sitting down up here. You know, he never did stand up. And he was standing all along, but he said his name was Shorty Pete. I kind of like that, you know. But he was, he was I love this story. He reminded me of a story, and I tell you, I got to go. I was sober three or four years, and I was growing. And I was dating a girl in Columbus, and she took me to a meeting in Dublin, Ohio. And the guy was actually shorter than Brian. That was It was an eating meeting. And I was all excited because I knew he'd be a featured speaker and all that. And when I saw his height, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, he actually stood on a he stood on a step stool to give the lead. But he had a lot of years, and he had a powerful message for me. It was just for me. First of all, we were all standing around, and he overheard some guys saying how short he was. And he before the lead, I was standing right there, and he walked over to him, and he said, you know I'm only short on the outside. You know, and I said, oh, wow. And his whole message, the message I heard from that guy's lead, it was, it was just as powerful as Brian's last night. But his message was about being right-sized of all things. Now, I'm not being corny when I say that. He had talked about the steps and how they brought, brought him back to him, how he got his identity and found out who he really was, which is what he was searching for his whole life, you know. And I couldn't help but sit out there and think of that when Brian was giving his lead. I just thought, wow, I've had so many, and I heard that said last night, the Giants, you know, we, we, Keith D. from California, he said, the reason I can see so far is I've stood on the shoulders of giants, you know. And some of mine are in this room right now, you know. They're, Kentucky's got great AA, great AA. Not as good as Ohio, but great AA, great AA. <laughs> so anyway, we're still in the disease. I had that fight, got my butt kicked, lost the job, lost the job now. Lost a whole family, a beautiful family, not, not bothered at all. Lost that job, started traveling the country. Wasn't traveling. I was staying with family is what I was doing. I was a moocher, and I did the plasma deal, which was mentioned last night. So that's the level I was at. Uh, in staying with family, I left some more wreckage behind, which I was able to clean up in recovery. It required a lot of driving because it was in other states. And, and I did time uh, I did time in Volusia County Jail, which is in DeLand, Florida. And uh, it's it's really cool because I had a... One of the sisters lived, both my sisters that lived down there are dead now. They passed away. And, and I got to see that happen sober though. So it, it, it was, it was, it hurt, but it didn't hurt near as bad when you realize where they're going and what, what life's all about, you know. But every time we, me and Chad get to go to Florida every year if we want to because his younger sister has a timeshare at Disney. So whenever we go to Disney, I would drive up to see my sister, which was in Daytona Beach, and I would drive by that jail 
every every time. And just such not pleasant thoughts. The pleasant thought was I'm no longer where I used to be. I'm in a better place now. And uh, so I'm still, I was still drinking. That was one of my escapades was getting arrested in Florida multiple times. Uh, they was, the state of Florida was on my four-step. You're allowed to put whole states on there just in case somebody, somebody hasn't done one yet, you know. Uh, but I had, I, I had a, a pretty lengthy four-step because I had been screwed over by the world, so I thought, you know. But anyway, so now I, I, my last port of call was my brother. The reason I end up in Dayton, Ohio, I was not born there, that's for sure. But I have a brother who lives in Enon, Ohio. So he was my last port of call. Moved in on him with his wife and three lovely kids, you know. The mess. I was a mess, you know. Um, I did, I did land one more job, a decent job while I was still drinking. And that came as a result of just staying with it in this area. Even though I was, I was starting to already get in trouble with the law here or in Dayton, you know, up north. And, uh, I went, I grabbed a newspaper. I said, I've had enough of this. My home, I had two home groups then. The Invets 99 was one home group and the other home group was, uh, the VFW 9582 post-9. That's where I went all the time. Those were my home groups, you know. And uh, so finally I said, you know, it's time to get a job in your line of work because I had good qualifications and I studied under some, I studied under a guy who studied in France. I studied under a guy who studied in Italy. And, and those guys gave me so many gifts, you know, talents that they had. You know, they passed them on to me. So I, I got a newspaper and it had one of the, I, I want to show you the con artist that I am. It had an ad where you replied to a DNS box number or something like that. But somehow in that ad, it said North Dixie Drive or something. So I was able to track who these people were, figure out a phone number, figure out an address and all that. And I ended up, I got up one morning. They were asking for a project manager. I got up one morning, drank a couple beers, take the edge off, you know, drank the night before. Uh, took a shower to try to get rid of the odor, drank a bottle of mouthwash, spit it out and all that stuff. And I went down to that company and I walked in there looking good. I was cleaned up. I walked in to the receptionist and I said, I'm here about the job. And she said, do you have, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, I don't. I said, but I really am qualified and I was talking loud enough and giving out enough facts. The owner of the company walked out and said, hi, I'm Sam. He shook my hand. And I said, I'm Tom. And I said, I, I see you're looking for some help and I, I know I can do that job. Well, wouldn't you know, he waltzes me into this big conference room with a walnut table. He's sitting at one end and I'm sitting the other, you know, and he's running stuff by me about buildings and I know him and I know every answer. And he's like, he was being impressed. And I, I must have been glowing like the God glow, except it was the drink glow. And he was confused because he looked across that table and he said, you don't drink, do you? And I knew what he wanted to hear. I said, no, I don't drink. He said, you've been to treatment, haven't you? And I didn't know what a treatment center was. I didn't have, I didn't know AA existed. You know, that's why I was where I was at, you know. And I said, yes, I have. I said, you're... <laughs> He said, I bet you went to Samaritan Hall. 
And I said, man, you're dead on. I said, you know everything about me. Well, I didn't know his son was going to Samaritan Hall at the time, right? Well, fast forward, I work for this guy two years, drink every day. I'm a mess, but I can do this job, right? I got beer in my drawer at work, you know. And I had, I had, this is how I found Alcoholics Anonymous, through this guy and this job, I, I got four DUIs in a row. The fourth one I did six months at a workhouse on Nicholas Road. It was the old round one where they had rats and, and roaches and all that stuff. And I had a little Bible I didn't read. But <laughs> I did six months there, and I got out. And all the time I was in there, this book identifies me to a T. I couldn't wait to get, I couldn't wait to get out and drink again. You know, after all the trouble I'd been, all the, all the heck I've seen and everything, I could not wait to get back out and drink again. So I get out. I, he held the job for me. If that tells you anything, that's how good I must have been at my job. He held that job. When I got out of the workhouse, I went back to work as a project manager in a respectable firm, you know. Well, Dixie Drive was uh, the strip then. They had all the go-go joints, and that, that was never a major fascination of me. I don't know why, but I, it just, I like drinking. I just like to drink. I, I was the one that was going to take you home in the bar at night, and by 10 o'clock, all the guys were stealing the women out, and then at 2 o'clock when they closed, all the women were gone, so I didn't have much of a sex life just because of that. I, I had to close the, close the place up, you know. But... Uh, Anyway, of all things, I get another DUI on that strip. And I'm like, I was flabbergasted. You know, I woke up in jail with hard donuts on a tin cup with coffee and all that. And I thought, oh, my God. I said, now what? You know, where do you go now? So I didn't tell my boss about it. I got my brother to bail me out. And I didn't tell my boss about it. And uh, eventually he was he was a member of the Optimist club and the judge was a personal judge he was my judge i think they put him on the payroll just for me his name was bud lacrone and i was tom and he was bud in the courtroom <laughs> i didn't even call him your honor i was in there so often but uh they were both members of the optimist club together and uh bud saw my yellow jacket thrown on his desk and he called sam up and he said sam he did it again and he said uh He's going to do no less than a year this time. And I'm going to tell you, I happy, joyous, and free. The free part means a lot to me. It means a whole lot. And uh, Sam called me in the office. I had that spot of carpet where I wore it out, standing in the same spot, getting the old lectures and all that. And I stood there, and he presented that situation to me. I'm going to tell you what, that was, uh, that was something. Knowing I was going to go away for a year, you know, it was just like, I was touched by the hand of the master at that very moment. I was touched by the hand of the master at that very moment. I didn't, that was not my last drinking day. Cause see, I was maintenance drinking by then. I had to still drink after that. But I walked out of that office and I picked up a phone book and I called, well, first of all, I called Blue Cross Blue Shield and they said they, treatment centers were hot back then. You know, they were, they were going everywhere. Spin drives, they called them, you know, uh, 28 day deals. And I, I, uh, found out that Blue Cross Blue Shield would pay 80% of it. 
and I only had to pay 20. And I thought, well, I'll try something. I, you know, it was, that year was just driving me nuts. And I, I knew it was a consequence for something I did. And I knew I'd have to do the year, but it didn't matter. I just, I had to find out what was wrong. So I called all these treatment centers. I was going down the book. And I was asking them questions. You know, we had a ton of them, you know. And the funniest thing was when I got to Samaritan Hall and called them, they had all the right answers. So I went in Samaritan Hall. Now, I want you to know that because I'm not a liar. I want you to know I don't tell lies, you know. God just knew ahead of time I was going to end up there. He just knew it. And he showed me that little glimmer is what he did. He showed me that glimmer. So I checked into that treatment center, spent the 28 days, met my sponsor there. He had gone through that treatment program before. Uh, he came in to do service work. He taught me to do service work. When I got a hold of my sponsor and I had, when I found out I was sick and I could get better, I had a shot. You know, I thought I was a bad person all those years, you know, and it was, it's such a simple, simple thing, you know, uh, but I couldn't get it for, I had 27 years of drinking and drugging. I did the math. So if I make it to February the 6th, I'll have 27 years on this side. I'll be even. That's pretty cool stuff. I was like, I'm a numbers guy because I had to make buildings get built for the right amount of money. So I've always loved numbers. But uh, the uh, the gifts that they gave me, they took me to AA. They had a bus. You know, it was pretty humbling, actually, to be there because even all the drinking years, I had myself uh, – Something special. I thought it was something special. Book talks about that. But when I graduated from there, again, I went back to that job that I had. And uh, I got real active in AA. And I want to give all the credit to Alcoholics Anonymous for getting me on the right foot because without them, I wouldn't have got any better. But I want to read something on this letter. Uh, about two years later on that job, my boss, that Sam guy, he was cleaning out his desk drawer, and he said, hey, Tom, I got a letter here from Samaritan Hall back when you went into treatment. And he said, I thought you might want it. It doesn't, I'm going to throw it away, he said. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, my God. I said, that's pretty, I said, yeah, I do want that. And here's what this letter says. I didn't even know when I was in the treatment center that they were calling the judge, they were calling my attorney, they were calling my employer. I didn't know all that was going on. I didn't know I was that special. I probably swelled up on that one, too. But here's, here's what Samaritan Hall wrote to all these people. And it says, Thomas Bennett, it's got my Social Security number on here, so I know it's me. It says, client has completed his aftercare and is being referred to continue attending AA meetings regularly. Regularly, Tom has displayed much willingness and open-mindedness to address his alcoholism and appears to be committed to a lifestyle without alcohol. Tom was a role model for others and his progress is favorable. I wish you'd gave me this letter when I got out of treatment. You know, they, now the point is they believed in me before I believed in me. Now isn't that just absolutely amazing? You know, cause I was a slow learner. I came on this side. If it wasn't for those steps, he took me through those steps right away. He didn't waste no time. He knew I was sick and I got better. But when I got better, I still, they, they taught me in the treatment center, if you, if you sober up a horse thief, you still have a horse thief. Well, I did something that I'm not real proud of, but it's the truth, and you can go into the court records and find out. I was sober a year, and I'd been through my steps, 
And I still didn't have a driver's license. And I was like, I was growing up in my head, but not in my heart, you know. So I thought, and I was, I got more rides to meetings. I got rides to and from meetings on a regular basis with no problem. AA loved me till I could love myself. There's no doubt about how this program is designed and outlined for guys just like me. What happened was the keen alcoholic mind got into action, and I reached in my wallet, and I knew I had this. I had a driver's license that had my picture and another guy's name on it. And I thought, you know, I should really drive with that. I'm sober now. God loves me. I pray every morning, go to meetings morning, noon, and night. You know, I'm, the, I'm a spiritual giant by now. Yeah, and I thought... I don't think God would mind, you know. I actually talked it over with him. I went down to the credit bureau, which was at Monument of Maine at that time, and I threw down that driver's license and found out I could go out and buy something up to $40,000. I had good credit, too. That's pretty amazing for this guy. Now, I had to memorize this guy's name, social, and all that shit, which is a breeze for a guy like me. I told you I like numbers. So... Actually, they wouldn't even give me that information. They said you have to have a social security card, which it meant I had to go over to 2nd Street up to the 10th floor, and I got a social security card and went back and got that information. So I called my brother up, and I said, Brother, I want you to run me up to Paul Sherry Chevrolet. I'm going to get me a vehicle. He said, Really? I said, Yeah, just drop me off. I drove away in a brand-new truck. Now, that's called felony fraud. And I did that on this side of the fence. Now, if you have a problem with honesty, walk my path. Because that, that was like a real lesson learner right there. A real. Now I made four payments in a row. Never missed a payment. That was my deal with God. God, I'll never miss a payment and I'll ride guys to AA meetings. And I, and I did. I did. I kept my part of the bargain, but the FBI and God weren't talking. <laughs> See, they weren't talking. I didn't know that. I thought God could control them, too. Well, they called me into, of all places, that same building on 2nd Street down there, the big black building. It was a different floor. The bank that they ran that loan through said they needed me in there to, to check out some stuff, you know, go over my paperwork. Well, I was leery because I was this Lynn guy, and I had a different Social Security number and all that. But I didn't really think that when I walked through that door of that office and it slammed behind me, the two FBI agents were going to walk out of these other in from these other two doors and put my hands behind my back. As soon as the bank officer said, are you Thomas Bannon, or not, are you Lynn, Lynn Evers was his last name, and he spit out that Social Security Number and I said, yes, I am. They came through the doors and they arrested me. Well, they took me straight to jail. I had an attorney on my payroll that, you know, that, I mean, I had him for so many years, you know. I called him up and, uh, he, uh, he got me out on the street. I don't know how he did that, but when I came up for that court case, that was an interesting court case. When you're new and I should back up to that other deal. When I went to treatment, this same attorney said, Tom, you can't go to treatment yet. He said, because if you go there, I need that for leverage for the courts and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't care what you need. I just want to find out what's wrong with me. And I went into treatment. Well, I never did that year. I never did a day in jail for that DUI. 
that judge ended up being al in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that. And every time, when I went to my court date, he sus the judge suspended it and moved it to another date. And every time I went back, he would ask me questions about sponsorship and steps and all that. And event he wiped it out. The way. Now, this case, I'm facing 15 to 25, whole different ballgame. This is a federal judge. This judge's name was Kessler, was his name. You always remember your, you can't remember your girlfriends, but you, you know, or your ex-wives, you know. But you can remember your judges when you're fake. Well, it turns out Judge Kessler's nephew was in my home group at the time, Mark. I told Mark about the situation, not looking for any help or anything, obviously, you know. But all I did, I, when that court date came, I don't know what Flanagan did, that attorney, but when that court date came, I took my big book into that room, into that courtroom, and I had a girl I befriended. Uh, in uh, we graduated the same day in the treatment center I was at, and we stayed friends in the meetings and stuff. And her sponsor was Alice, and Howie was dating Alice at the time. And she had gotten this prayer off of Alice, and she loved the prayer, and she wrote it down for me, uh, an extra copy. She folded it up, and she said, I know you're going to court tomorrow. Take this in the courtroom and open it and read it right before that 15 to 25 gavel comes down. And I said, fine, Vicki, thank you. And I just put it in my wallet, went, went to court, me and Flanagan and Kessler, and I opened that up right when he rattled off all my charges, and that prayer was very simple. It said, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Thank you for what you've taken away, and thank you for what's left. And I never did a night in jail for that. Never did a night in jail. I had my big book. I was ready to go into the prison system and help others. That's what, and God knew all that, too, you know. Now, you're probably saying, you can't get off on, I didn't get off. I had to buy the truck and didn't get to keep it. I had to make the payments every month. And when I wrote that first check, I called them every name in the book. And about four checks later, I'm like, wait a minute, dummy, you're on the street, you know. And uh, I did 3,000 hours of community service. Every cop car I rode in the back of, I washed. I want you to know that. And I had three years probation. The first year, I had to show up every week religiously. And the second second year, it was only eight, once a month. And the third year, I could mail them in. But that's not much of a consequence. For somebody facing 15 to 25, God had a plan for me. And I better get to what that plan is. I, so now I'm really sober. I, I tried marriage, and uh, I was explaining to Lorna about that deal, and it didn't work out. I, I wasn't much better. It lasted six years, and i got to thank you guys for that. Because the lady I married, well, she was a nun. If I can't marry a nun and make it, you ought to be able to take it from there. But she, she was in the convent. She wasn't a nun when I married her. She had another habit. <laughs> I fit into that picture, but I better go like this. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we, we just had differences. You know, we were both in recovery. We did not have... Uh, any problem with staying close to God, praying together, and all those things. We just had personal differences, and it was, we got into some arguments that never escalated. We couldn't, didn't know how to scream or fight or any of that stuff. Uh, 
But one day I made a comment. I really screwed up. I, you know, I mean, I just literally said, maybe we should get a divorce. I didn't know she was laying for that. <laughs> as soon as I said it, she said, okay, I'll go to the attorney tomorrow. You're sleeping. At, we had just built a new home. She said, you're sleeping down in the guest suite. And I'm like, as I'm walking down that hallway, checking out my bed, you know, which used to be Chad's bed when he was going to school. But as I'm going down to his bedroom, which was now going to be my bedroom, I'm thinking, Dang, Tom, you failed again. That was my first thought. You failed again. You had a shot at something and you let, and then right behind it, there came you guys and I said, wait a minute, you lasted six years in marriage with one woman, not cheating on each other and praying. You're doing good, Tom. I said, thanks, God. You know, so again, you know, your gratitude is your gratitude. But out of that, out of that relationship and staying close to AA, and losing things in AA has gotten me closer to God. Uh, the uh, moving around, being able to move to another city and find out recovery is good anywhere you go. Uh, the gifts just go on and on and on. But I threw myself more into working with others after that. Really, I always worked with others. I always went to treatment centers. I love carrying a meeting into a treatment center, you know. Uh, but... God had this real funny plan that happened right after that because I ended up moving out of that house and I got a place in another county, nearby county. But when I moved to that county, I had no idea, no idea what God had in store for me. I was, I was not real beat up over it. You know, it, it, I, I waited the year. You know, you, you should wait a year. You know, so I got to throw. But this town that I moved to was Xenia, Ohio. You know, Jamestown's right now. And I had no idea they had a men's recovery center called the Christopher House and a women's recovery center called WRC, Women's Recovery Center. And God took me from whatever, a fancy town that had a Friday night big book study and, you know, some good meetings, Inglewood. And he took me into this kind of like little hellhole. You know, even when I moved there, I looked at it and said, these people are low life. That was, you know, that's. I'm better than this. I, I came from Englewood, you know, to Xenia. And you, wow, was I, boy, did I sell God short. I'll tell you. I started going to that treatment center, picking up guys. I drive an old ratty van right now. You know, you'd think 26 years sober. He should be driving some fancy, have a lot of money. But I run my life like AA runs itself. I just need enough money to get by, and I'm real happy that way. You know, I got 200,000 miles on that van. And I haul drunks every week to and from meetings, and they we talk about women, shit we know nothing about. You know, we have a blast. You know, we just have a blast. And they keep they keep me new. You know, I do have another relationship, and and we've been together 14 years. <laughs> 14 years, you know, and it's awesome. She's a Christian, you know, and, and they're just a different breed of cat. She's, she's not an AA, and every time I trick, try to pick a fight, she walks away. I'm like, no, get back here. We gotta fight. We gotta argue, you know. Don't you know about life? And she's, no, I don't fight with nobody, you know. She's the reason we're together 14 years. I can assure you of that. But Diane, Diane, you know, she, her real name's Diana. You know, and she, before Princess Diana died, she tracked her all the time, watched her on every show, everything, read everything about her, and she always told me, I'm Princess Diana, honey. You know, it took me a long time to even 
realize how beautiful a person she is and how big her heart is, you know, and start really calling her Princess Diana. And once I did do that, it started out joking, but now I'm sincere. I really realized it made me a prince. You know, I said, gee, how cool was that? Yeah. She she makes me look good. I got to tell you, she makes me look good. But I'm going to close with two stories, and I will close with two stories. Um, the program says that recovery begins when one alcoholic talks to another. And I'm a firm, that's how it started with us. And I went to Al-Anon for three years. I was a black belt Al-Anon. And I'm kind of ashamed that I don't go there anymore, but I've gotten so wrapped up in AA and I found my calling and I think people ought to find out where they belong and stay there. And I think that's where God wants me to be. But that son out there that's sitting in the back row, he went down that same elevator I went down that only goes down. And he was drinking really bad. And he was, he was just on my path, the exact same path I was on. And he would drive me nuts. What he, he'd call me in the middle of the night and be on a road, passed out, out of gas, 20 below zero. Me and Diane would jump in the car and just drive all over looking for him because all, the only information he could give before the phone went click because he passed out was, I saw a green sign that said Cincinnati 64 miles. So I had to track that because he lived in Fairborn. So we drove, we stayed interstate, green signs. He was on 675. But we that was one and another and another and his job and breaking things and losing things. and But I was getting rested. I'd bail him out and they'd impound his car. And I, Alan on just saved my butt. I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful program about detaching with love and so many, you know, the three C's I didn't cause, I can't cure, I can't control, all the things they gave me. That if I do what's best for me, it's what's best for everyone around. Just a beautiful program. And it held me on until he finally said, Dad, maybe I want to try that AA shit, you know. And he tried it, but he had his toe in. He was just walking around saying, uh, maybe I can do some controlled drinking. Maybe I'm not as bad as these guys or whatever. But wouldn't you know, the guy I sponsor, his name's Ralph. Ralph, every time he saw Chad in the meeting, he'd walk up to him and say, did you get a sponsor yet? Did you get a sponsor yet? Well, finally, he pissed him off one time bad enough that he said, no, I don't. Why don't you be my sponsor? You know, well, I'm going to tell you what. When a family member of yours that you love more than life and you throw yourself in front of a train for gets sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a wonderful thing to watch. It's a, it's something in vision for you. It's something you would not want to miss. Well, what happened was I knew him and Ralph were meeting because I sponsored Ralph. You know, there's a little incest there, by the way, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, but, when you know the day come, it was a Sunday afternoon, there's a knock on the door. Well, I got a doorbell, and he's got a key, and it was him. And he said, you know what I'm here for, Dad? And I said, raise the refrigerator and watch TV? <laughs> he said, no, I'm here to make amends. I, I'll tell you what, I knew it was coming, but I didn't. You could knock me over with a feather. And he came in and textbooked that thing for one hour and told me how he hated me for all those absentee dad years and how he realized that I was doing the best I could and that he had the part in that of what he, his vision of me being such a horrible person. But he got to see me on this side of the fence. I'm going to tell you what, that's big stuff.
big that's big boy stuff there for me. I grew tremendously in that situation. Another thing that happened that that was a major. Another major was my home group Tuesday night. I told you about. Well, I was there one night, and this guy walked in. He was 80 years old, that's the truth, and his name's Jim P., and he lives in Cedarville, Ohio, and I thought he probably had, you know, how old's AA, 85 years? I figured he had 75 years sobriety. You know, when you look at this 80-year-old, well, here he walked into Alcoholics Anonymous for the first meeting ever in my home group. He walked into my home group, 80 years old. He was wearing an ankle bracelet. 80 years old, he was court-ordered. And after going to a few meetings, he asked me to be his sponsor. I gave him a three-year token three weeks ago. That man has three years continuous sobriety. Now, your question is, Tom, what does that have to do with recovery? I'm going to tell you what that has to do. This guy, because of his age, he has given me a new perspective. He walks into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous just because of his age and his maturity. I see... Joe's sleeping with Lucy and Mary and Jane at the same time, or that son of a gun shouldn't have quit that job. There's a better way for him. He walks into AA with his old man eyes, and he sees nothing but good. He has been such a teacher for me in Alcoholics Anonymous. I just can't thank him enough. He's a wonderful person. I hope he lives to be 150. I really do. Uh, Again, I want to thank... Dave for calling me, who couldn't be here. I want to thank Rick for hosting me. These guys all work together, and they all got sober in the same year. To me, there's a God thing right there. They're amazing, this group of guys up here. Some of them have metal in their head, and some of them don't, you know. <laughs> I told him before the meeting, that's a, his probation officer doesn't want him to fly anywhere. He can't get through the metal detector, you know. So. <laughs> but Vinny's a cool dude. But... uh uh, I should mention, you know, if you really want to see some good recovery, go to that old-timers panel today because Tony was very instrumental to my recovery, and so was Steve, and there are other guys there. And ever, I, if I start trying to name people, as small as this room is, 3,000 people, there are still so many people here that have helped me in my recovery, and some people came down from Dayton too. With that, I'll pass.